0: At the beginning of 2016, I was feeling bright and light and hopeful and joyous. I felt like I was bowling nothing but strikes, back to back to back, and it felt good. Yeah, yeah, there was some tough stuff here and there, but I don't focus on the valleys, I focus on the summits. Is that a good way to live? Probably not, but I'm doing it. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. All right, this year, 2016, is just a jam-packed bundle of awesome things that happened, and I'm just going to blast through them one by one and just stay with me because it's good. It's all just good stuff. It's just good memories, and I hope that as I'm telling you these stories, you can kind of put yourself in these moments and just kind of join me there and be with me and be a part of this with me, just like mentally and physically. And emotionally and like spiritually just kind of teleport yourself to these moments because they were just so fun and awesome and they're all just a bunch of like little stories but they just make up just a fantastic um, just year of goodness man it's just a year of goodness and like I said in the intro there's probably some bad stuff that happened but I don't remember any of it you know and I don't really see the value in remembering any of it if I can't remember it it must not have been that big a deal, so I'm moving on. Anyway, the year starts with traveling to Vancouver, Canada for a event, a conference that I was going to be shooting up there in January, and I had never been up to Vancouver before, and I was super excited about it. I've heard a lot about Vancouver and British Columbia in general, and I just was excited. So, uh, Andy, my buddy Andy, uh, that shoots all these events with me, we actually scheduled four or five extra days at the beginning of the trip so that we could go snowboarding in Whistler. And if you've never been to Whistler, I mean, oh my gosh, it was like, imagine in your head, like the most beautiful snow skiing, snowboarding place in the world. And this is it. If there's a better one, I don't know about it. Those of you that have been to Whistler, you guys know what I'm talking about. So we go up to Vancouver, we fly into Vancouver, we take a train from Vancouver up to Whistler and it was just just absolutely amazing. Like you get off the train and you get into town, you take a cab into town in the ski village and we, we checked into our little condo or whatever and rented our stuff and it was just, without expanding too much on it, it was just an amazing like three or four days of just chilling, hanging with Andy, just like snowboarding, drinking beer on the mountain, you know, going out for pizza at night, I mean, it was just absolutely incredible, and I'll never forget just, like, walking through the little village at night, and there's just, like, snowmelt rivers coming through town, and just, like, it was just absolutely beautiful, and so after Whistler, we went to Vancouver to shoot this event, and the main thing that I got to tell you about Vancouver is, outside of it just being, like, again, um, one of the most beautiful places, it's, like, it's, like, Seattle, but the extremely, like, clean, pristine Canada version of that um, with, like, even more natural beauty. Um, it, You know, Canada has this reputation for just being, like, super nice and polite people, and it was, and the, and the town was just pristine, and, you know, there was, like, homeless people like you would see anywhere, but they were, like, really respectful, and, like, it was just funny, like, I was just looking around, like, damn, Canada's got something figured out. I, I don't know what it is. But they got something figured out. And it's like very like diverse, you know, being up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, you have like people from all over the world and Vancouver is just a big city anyway. And so there's like all the food that you can possibly imagine. A lot of Japanese influence, a lot of Japanese food, which is kind of my favorite style of food. And so it was just absolutely beautiful and amazing. And we had a fun time shooting the event. And then the main thing about Vancouver was the very last night we were there the group that we were shooting for was going out for drinks and karaoke at this bar. And they invited Andy and I. And so, you know, normally me and Andy don't show up for these types of things. You know, we kind of tend to go and do our own thing and, and have fun, you know, just the two of us. But we were like, let's go have a few drinks with the crew. And, uh, you know, listen to him sing some dumb songs and everything. So we go out to this bar in Vancouver. And, you know, everybody that was, you know, working the event was, you know, tired and kind of celebrating a good event and everything. And so it was a fun time. We get in there, we have some drinks. And we have kind of a lot of drinks, honestly. And people are singing karaoke. And it was getting, it was getting to the point that, like, I was ready to sign up for some karaoke songs, which doesn't really happen very often for me. But I was, like, signing up for... uh like some Beastie Boys songs or, like, Gavin DeGraw or, you know, you know, the hits. And every time I signed up for a song, Andy would just go over there and just cross my name off of the list. So there was, like, the page ended up just being, like, me trying to sign up 15 times and a whole bunch of, like, crossing out, you know. And so, anyway, me and Andy had a good time there. And we left that uh, bar, and we were going to walk back to our hotel room. And that began, like, this odyssey this journey uh for us that seemed like it took like hours and like we had had a lot to drink at the bar I mean we were definitely um you know we, we were all the way there you know <laughs> we were drunk for sure and uh and we're just walking through the town of Vancouver and for some reason Andy put on um the song by Drake that's like, you used to call me on my cell phone. I don't even know what the name of the song is. But um, he he put that song on. I think we we were listening to that because we were in Canada. And we were thinking about Drake. And, uh, and that song was like, it wasn't even, it was like already like old at that point. But he just put that song on repeat. And I just remember like just stumbling through this town like idiots. And he had the song just on, on his phone, just like out. And it was just repeat over and over, you used to, you used to, you know, <laughs> it's like, it just never stopped. And then, like, we ended up getting back to the hotel, but not before, like, we were, like, falling down on the sidewalks and, like, peeing in alleyways and, like, you know, we jumping into bushes and, and just being, like, absolute morons. And, like, for some reason, I I know this is true for me, and I think it's true for Andy, too, but, like, we both just kind of need that kind of release of, like, you know, life is complicated and, like, you know, busy and stuff, and you just gotta go and just just break all the rules, like, in one night, basically. Not all of them, but, you know, a good chunk of them. The ones that don't really matter, anyway. But we just had such a great time, and the next day, we're, like, looking through our photos on our phones, and, like, I don't really remember any of this, but we have this this amazing collection of photos that's just like absolute insanity from that walk back uh from the bar to the hotel in Vancouver and it was just such an amazing, amazing fun time. And like so again, like just put yourself in that memory with us. You're just walking through Vancouver. It's January. It's cold. You're tipsy, you're with a good friend, you're listening to this music, and you're just having a blast, man. And it was like Vancouver's so cool that like cops would drive by and just like wave at us like they don't care about this type of stuff. Everybody's just so cool there. It was like the cops are going, ah, look at those guys. They're having fun. (laughs) And uh, we were, man. We were having a great time. So that's memory number one. From there, I go back to Little Rock and um, I get an email from uh, Reuters. It was either Reuters or the New York Times. I don't remember which, but the email was, this was in February, very beginning of February. And they said, hey, Donald Trump is coming to Little Rock for a campaign rally and we need you to shoot it. And I was like, oh my gosh, now. Now, so we're getting into Trump land here. And uh, you know, 2016 was the election and everything, and like you guys know how that turned out. In February of that year, you know, nobody knew, nobody could have possibly guessed that he was gonna win in February hell nobody even really a lot of people didn't think he was going to win on election night but back in february he was still like at least in my mind and a lot of people's minds he was kind of seen as more of a spectacle than a legitimate candidate um and you know if you ask me he never became a legitimate candidate but he he comes to letter rock in in uh, february and they want me to shoot it so i'm like yeah great i'll, I'll go shoot this thing you know cool Uh, And so I I get signed up for the, I get the press credential or whatever, get on the list. And the night of the event, I show up, it was at Barton Coliseum. And if you live in Little Rock, you know that Barton Coliseum is at the fairgrounds, which is not in a really great part of town. It's, there's a lot of crime in that area. And, you know, uh, there's, there's really no other way to say this, but it's, it's like a vastly uh, African-American part of town. And they're having all of these super conservative white people basically going out there for a Trump rally, and I was just thinking, like, this is not a great idea. Um, this is a recipe for disaster. Nothing really bad happened. I mean, there was some protests and this and that, but but it was a fairly safe, uh, you know, evening for everybody. But the interesting thing about that story was I'm shooting the event, and I'm in the press area, which is kind of right in the center of the floor of the, uh, you know, of the Coliseum there, and they had they had everybody kind of packed in tight to the stage and packed in tight behind the stage, you know, for the visuals, you know, for the media, because there's all, all the media outlets are there covering the event. And so behind Trump, the crowd was packed and in front of the stage, the crowd was packed. But the place was largely empty. And it was so weird because Trump came out and he said or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Trump. But the guy that came out to introduce him said it was misleading, to say the least. But he came out and he, he said that he was the fire marshal or something like that. And it, it wasn't really clear, but he definitely portrayed himself as though he was like the Little Rock fire marshal. And he said, we, this is a record attendance at this event. We've never had this many people in Barton Coliseum before. This breaks this attendance, this number of people breaks the record For like the previous record was a ZZ Top show that was there in like the '70s, and they said that, and I looked around and I'm like, this place is empty. Like, honestly, like at most it was 50 to 60 percent full. It wasn't even close to packed. It was half, maybe a little more than halfway full. And I heard him say that, and I looked around and I was like, "Uh, bullshit. But the TV cameras really couldn't see that the place was empty. And so and then Trump comes out and he's like, oh, my God, you can't believe it. Greatest record of all time. Never had this many people. You guys know, you know, he likes to inflate the numbers. But I was like, you know, as a journalist uh, or or I was playing one that night, I was like, well, I got to go get the bigger story, you know, because that's that's worth noting. Right. So I left the press tent. I got all the way up to the top of the um, stands where I could get a real wide angle shot of the whole arena with Trump on the stage. And I took those photos just to show, like, in case the writer wanted to note that, you know, these claims about the attendance were incorrect, I wanted to have the photos to prove it. And so I shot the photos, and, like, long story short, they didn't run the photos, but I was like, that's crazy, like, they, they should have run those photos, like, that, that matters, like, it's not that big a deal, and, of course, like... Turned out to be a theme for him, as he he likes to lie about how many people show up. And things anyway, all that to say, that was interesting. The other interesting thing about that night was, I'm standing in the press tent, and there's probably like honestly, you know, forty or fifty people in the media, you know, um, area, like where they've they've marked it off with rope and everything, and we're all kind of stuck in there, and there's photographers and videographers and, you know, CNN news cameras. And then there's people that are just reporting with laptops or whatever. And we're all there covering Trump and Trump's up there just screaming about the media being the enemy. And it was just like really weird for me to be, you know, I had a big name badge on that said media and I still have the the badge. It's like a Trump branded, you know, media thing and he's over there yelling and berating us for being in the media and the people are all angry and you know just worked up and he's working them up and he's like the media blah, you know blah 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 and i'm just like what the hell did i do man <laughs> why are you why are you yelling at me i'm just here taking pictures of you and uh you know it's just so weird man the the anger and stuff and people would come up to me like obviously I'm a media guy, but like most people don't realize like the photographer doesn't really have any influence. We're just taking pictures, but they're coming up to me and telling me how bad of a person Hillary is and all this stuff. And it was like, dude, you've lost your mind, man. Um, so anyway, that was, that was freaking wild. Shortly after that, um, that was February 3rd, 2016. And a couple weeks later on Valentine's Day weekend, Micaiah was actually out of town at like a women's retreat with our church. And I had the kids at home and I had been thinking in my head about getting a pop-up camper, you know, because I have always loved camping. I grew up camping. My life has included lots and lots of camping and being outside. And at this point in time, our kids were getting old enough to, you know, where I'm thinking, you know, we, we can start camping as a family. Uh, you know, and and prior to this, like we had we had done a few trips, you know, and stuff, but we didn't have a, a camper, and we just had like a tent or sleep in the back of the truck, and it, you know, it wasn't comfortable. And so I wanted to uh, I wanted to give us you know a situation that was going to be a little bit more um, you know sustainable and, and comfortable and fun to take everybody camping. And so I'm looking for campers on Craigslist. And the way that I typically do things is. When I when I want something, I go and find it and I buy the very first one I find and, and get on with my life. You know, that's I, I'm not a researcher like my wife is. You know, I just I just buy stuff. Uh, and so anyway, I find this camper on Craigslist for 500 bucks. And there was it was a pop up camper and there wasn't even really um, I I think there was only one picture of it. It was just like closed, like it wasn't even popped up. It's just a picture of a camper and it said 500 bucks. And it was in like Malvern, I think, or Hot Springs maybe or something. And so I, I emailed the guy and I'm like, hey, uh, you know, interested in the camper. Can I come take a look at it? And so he's like, yeah, yeah, come on down. So I take the kids um, and, and Makai's out of town. I didn't tell her anything about it. And uh, I, I drive down there and the guy's got the camper. It's not popped up or anything. And I, I sort of walk around. I don't know anything about pop-up campers at this point. Um, and I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, does it, everything good on it? Does it work? Everything cool? And he's like, oh yeah, it's great. And he's like, I can pop it up for you. And I was like, don't even bother, man. I'll take it. <laughs> gave him 500 bucks, hooked it up to the truck, drove it home. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I got home, you know, we, we pop it up and like, it was pretty shitty and I I figured it would be like, it's a $500 camper. Right. Like I, basically I, I was just looking for something I could fix up and, basically like just take the kids like I really didn't even think Micaiah would really want to come you know to be honest because partly because you know I was getting this really crappy camper but anyway I pop it up and like the canvas is all tearing apart and falling apart and there's a dead mouse in there and like it was (laughs) nasty there's like an old like some old eggs like something had laid eggs and hatched in there I don't it smelled terrible But I was super, super excited about it. And that began a process of, you know, just getting into camping as a family, which became, um, you know, basically like our family like hobby from then on and like still is. And also like much later, I'll tell you about much later, but created a new company that I'm uh, working and having fun with and and everything. But I bought like new canvas for the camper uh, I spent a couple of weeks like fixing it up, changed out the canvas, um, redid the the floors and the, um, you know, the, the countertop and took out the stove and did a new sink and, and fixtures. And, and Micaiah put on some new um, like upholstery on the seat cushions and, and all that. And, you know, we got the thing looking really, really good. And, you know, I, I was really, really stoked about it. And I spent a couple weeks on that. And we went for our very first camping trip. Um, later in February. I don't exactly remember when it was, but it was still February. And I had just kind of finished fixing up the camper, and I had been, like, you know, just talking about it a lot on social media and everything, kind of getting people excited about the idea of camping. And my buddy John, uh, like, just a a week after I got my camper, he went and got himself a pop-up camper, too. Uh, My friends John and Shannon and their son Tripp, You know, so they uh, they get a camper, too. And he sends me a picture of it. I'm like, yes. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. Like I was stoked about my own self having a camper, but I was like triple stoked about my friends getting getting one, too, you know. And so we we scheduled this camping trip for um, the end of February, you know, and it was like we literally just got online and just booked it. And so the plan was me and Vi, my my buddy John, John Vi, we were going to go down to uh, Lake DeGray and go camping. And it was going to be really cold. And I was going to bring um, just uh, Emma and Wynn. Rosie was, uh, she was only like two or something. And so Micaiah and Rosie were going to stay at home. And I was going to take the big kids and and meet uh, John and his crew down there. And then my buddy Rob and his son Nash were going to come too. So it was like, sweet, we got a camping trip, you know, and long story short, we show up for the camping trip and John has already <laughs> traded in his old crappy camper that he bought on Craigslist for a brand new pop-up camper that he had never like even popped up before. And that's kind of how he does things too, you know, he he buys things quick and, uh, you know, he's like, we'll figure it out. So he shows up, we we both show up and he's got this new camper and I was like, what? <laughs> like, this is incredible. He's literally, like, taking the plastic off of the camper, like, popping it up for the very first time. I mean, it's brand spanking new. And so, you know, we're figuring that out and everything. And and we ended up, uh, we didn't really know the rules of, like, campgrounds, but I had booked the campsite, and he just came to. And what we did was we ended up um, parking both campers in in the one slot, you know, end to end. And it was just like, we were so excited, and he gave me these, um, like Christmas lights, these old like 70s Christmas lights that are like the glass bulbs. And and uh, we strung them together between our two campers. And Rob came and he parked his truck. Uh, he had like an SUV and we parked that nearby, like right next to ours. And, and so we just had this little crew like at the spot. And it was it was just so beautiful and amazing. So again, like just put yourself there with us, man. You're just excited about a new thing. And you're excited about you know, the future. And what does this mean? And, and you're kind of discovering a new hobby together. And it was freaking cold that weekend. It was literally 17 degrees at night. And we were like, not prepared at all. And we're just camping and everything. And and John's wife, Shannon, is the only, you know, woman, the only female there, the only mom there. And like, just with the cold, she was like, kind of the, the one taking care of the kids a lot. Like, you know us guys are just like having fun building fires and like cooking meat and stuff and and Shannon's like hey are you guys cold do you need a blanket and she looks over one night and Wynn's sitting in his little camp chair and he's like freezing and I think he even had a fever he's just like shivering and she's like When are you okay buddy and he's like he's like yeah I'm just um I'm really kind of tired and I'm super duper cold but I'm having fun <laughs> He's just like shivering. So we bundle him up and everything. And I've got these great pictures of us. Uh, It was so cold that evening that we just we all piled into my camper and ate dinner inside my camper, Um, which didn't have any heat or anything, but it was just warmer because we were inside rather than being outside. And it was just so, so much fun, you know, just sitting down and like, you know, smoking a pipe around the campfire after the kids went to bed and just... It felt like we were on the beginning of something big, you know, a new journey. And that's exactly what it was. Uh, But that was our very first camping trip in the camper. And we came home and we had so much fun. The kids wanted to go back. And so we immediately booked um, a campsite for spring break of that year and ended up camping like, I mean, so many times that year. I mean, it was like sometimes we would go two, three weeks in a row, three weekends in a row, you know, just us and the Vize and, and whoever else wanted to come. And, and actually, that very first night, I'm laying in my camper, and I get a text from a friend that says, hey, can I join the camping club? And he sent me a picture of, of, a, new, of a camper that he had gotten. It was actually the, the same exact camper that I had, but a few years older. Mine was an 84, and I think his was like a late 70s model. And I'm like, yes, like something is happening, man. And people are texting me, and they're saying, hey, should I buy this camper? And it was just like, I felt like a movement was coming, man. It was just so exciting to get that going. And so, like I said, that began something that has just really, really carried on. And you'll hear lots more camping stories, uh, you know, in, in, in future episodes. So, so that was that. The next cool thing that happened was I went to Nashville to shoot a conference um, in Nashville for the National Science Teachers Association's annual meeting which, you know, sounds boring. And it was actually really cool. Um, I ended up shooting that event many, many times uh, since then. And it was cool. Like they had lots of, um, you know, interactive, like sort of displays and visuals and, you know, experiments that the teachers were kind of showing other teachers how to do with their kids and stuff. And, and it ended up being a cool, you know, event, like at least visually, you know, I had a lot to shoot. It wasn't just like people sitting in chairs and, and talking or whatever. Um, but the cool thing, <laughs> the best thing about that uh, time in Nashville was there's two stories I got to tell you about that. Uh, number one was for the National Science Teachers meeting, the keynote speaker was Bill Nye, as in the science guy. And I was like, dude, I, I was, I've been a Bill Nye fan forever. I love that guy. I grew up watching him. I was even watching him when I was too old to be watching him. Like, I freaking love Bill Nye. And so he spoke at this, you know, keynote session or whatever. And I met him. I got to shake his hand and talk to him before that because he did like a little meet and greet with some of the VIPs or whatever. And so I shot that. So we had interacted a little bit. And then I went out uh, later that night and with a buddy in Nashville. And I was coming back to the hotel later that night. It was it was midnight or maybe after and I'm going in the hotel and I go in and press the elevator button and I get on the elevator and then right before the doors close, Bill Nye walks in the elevator too with me. So it's just me and Bill Nye in the elevator and Bill Nye walks into the elevator and he's kind of like playing air drums with his fingers and kind of just bouncing and bopping and he's feeling good and, and he's smiling and, uh, and he, he sees me and kind of recognizes me since we had met earlier. And so I say, oh, did you have a fun night? And he goes, oh, yeah, fucking crushed it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Bill You know it's the coolest thing ever, Bill Nye. Just... <laughs> I mean, if you're going to meet Bill Nye in an elevator, that's pretty much what you want him to say, right? And I'm like, all right, cool, man, that's great. So he's having a good time. Anyway, then we we get to my floor, and I get off the elevator. And so I say to Bill Nye, I go, all right, party on, Wayne. And I walk out the elevator, and I'm walking down the hallway. And as the doors are closing, I hear Bill Nye call out, party on, Garth! (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's... That's my man. Like that's, when you, if you're going to meet a famous person, like that's, you, you want a good story like that, man. And, and Bill Nye was so cool. And he ended up coming back for future events. And I met him again a couple of times. And he was just a really nice guy. And side note, um, years later, maybe one or two years later, there was a documentary released on Netflix. I think it was called Bill Nye Science Guy. Like it was just a documentary about Bill Nye and what he's doing now or whatever and his past or whatever, and I actually appear in the documentary because they were shooting some scenes at that uh, science teachers conference that I'm like in the background of, and so that was kind of cool. As soon, as soon as I saw that documentary, I was going to watch it anyway, and then there's a segment where it's like National Science Teachers Meeting, Nashville, Tennessee, and I was like, oh my gosh, I was there, you know and. Sure enough like I I show up on the on the film like in the background. So that was kind of cool. The other cool thing from that that uh, time in Nashville was and this is just this isn't even really a story, but it's just worth noting was uh I had been listening to this uh this guy, this artist Bombino, this musician from uh Africa. I want to say he's from Chad or like I don't really know where he's from. Uh but he's from one of those small countries in, in Africa that I don't really know anything about. And he's like got this like Bedouin style where he wears like these robes and like a, it's not really a turban, but it's like a head wrap kind of a thing. And if you haven't ever listened to him, he's amazing. He sinks he sings in some language. I don't even know what language he speaks, but it's like this sort of drone guitar driven, like African jazz kind of style music. And it's just incredible. And I went to see Bombino in Nashville with my buddy, Kevin, Uh, And I was just like, I saw that he was going to be playing there and I was like, I am not missing that. And it was so cool. Like, I literally don't think he even speaks English and his band is just like, it's almost like somebody just went to Africa and just picked up a a guitar band and just brought him to the United States to play some shows. Like, but he's incredible. If you, if you haven't heard Bombino, check him out. He's got an album called Agadez and uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You'll love it. But that, that show was incredible. Alright, moving on in this year, 2016. I don't remember what time of year it was, but a friend of mine, Robbie and Candace, had told me that Um Bonnie Vare was releasing a new album. And I had never really listened to them, and they just kind of assumed that I was a fan, but like I, I really I didn't know anything about him. It. It's not that I wasn't a fan, I just didn't know anything about it. And they say he's got a new album coming out. Here's the first track. And it ends up being the album 22 A Million, and, you know, the, the, I could do a whole podcast just about this album, you know, song by song, like, review or whatever, but, like, suffice it to say, I, I really don't think it's overstating anything to say that this is the best album that's come out in my lifetime, and I've really thought about this a lot. If that's, something to, that's a good thing to think about. What's the best album that's come out in your lifetime? For me, I think it's 22 A Million by Bonnie Iver, which is crazy. I know, I know it's crazy. You'd think it would be something like Old or even Grateful Dead, but no, I, I got to say it's 22 A Million by Bonnie Bear. The the thing is perfect from start to finish, and it's just like jam-packed with this like deep like spiritual imagery, and you know, um, you know it's kind of like, I remember a long time ago, my brother Hunter was really into REM, and he still is. And I remember him like talking to me about R.E.M. and how like their lyrics don't really make any sense, but they do convey a mood and a feeling and like imagery. And Bonnie Vera is the same way, like the lyrics don't really mean anything or the, uh, at least on the surface, like it's not obvious. There's no like story being told, but it conveys this imagery and this mood that's maybe even like more inspiring and more creative when done really well. And this whole, the whole album is just absolutely like bone shatteringly good. the whole thing. Creeks, God. I mean, it, it's so good. Stop and listen to that album. If you haven't heard it yet, that one just, that one just kind of became the soundtrack for the rest of my year that year for sure. And then I'll tell you something amazing about that that happens next year in the next episode as well. But I had to mention 22 Million coming out because if this is a podcast about my entire life, that has to be in there as the best album that's been released in my entire life. So moving on. At some point in the early part of that year, I get a call from a friend that I didn't really know very well, but it was um, a a young uh, lady that I knew who was getting married and I was shooting a lot of weddings still at that time. Well, not a lot. But I was still shooting weddings at that time, and she calls me and she says hey i want to um I want to talk to you about shooting my wedding in in June. Would you be interested and I said, "Yeah, absolutely. I would love to shoot your wedding and so we sit down, we go and meet at at a coffee shop, and we kind of nail out the details and everything and uh you know sign a contract, she gives me a deposit, all that good stuff, and then couple weeks later you know this is for a wedding that was going to be in North Little Rock you know just just a a kind of a normal wedding you know nothing super special but then a couple weeks later she calls me and she says hey I'm really sorry to do this but we're kind of trashing the whole concept of the wedding uh, being here and she said we're actually going to have a like super small wedding in Italy with just family And we're kind of just going to do that instead of the big old shebang here in Arkansas, you know? So she said, like, sorry to bail on you, but, like, we're going to need to cancel the contract. Um, And, uh, you know, but thanks anyway, right? And I write back and I'm like, well, hey, that's awesome. I totally get it. That's a great idea. That's going to be awesome. And I said, but you're going to want great photos in Italy too, right? You know, I mean, I know you're not doing the big wedding, but you're still going to want good photos, and uh, and I said, you know, I I would be willing to um to come to Italy and shoot the wedding, you know, for the same price, you know, that I was going to do the wedding here in Arkansas. Would you be interested in that? And she says, uh, let me think about that, you know. And so a couple of days later, she comes back and she's like, um, yeah, let's do it if if you if you want to come to Italy, then come to Italy and shoot the wedding for us there. And I'm like, hell yeah. Right. Um, so we make all the plans and everything. And, and, you know, I decided like, I got to take Micaiah with me. Like, I'm not going to go to Italy without my wife, man. I mean, we had been before and I've told you about that, but I was not gonna, I was not gonna miss out on, on this fun, fun, possible adventure, you know, for me and the lady. So, I book us some tickets, and in June, we pack up, we leave the kids at home, and me and the lady fly over to Italy, Um, and it it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Again, just, like, jump in with me on the plane, through the airport, get the, you know, car, and the wedding was going to be in... um, this village called Ravello on the Amalfi Coast. And it was for my friends Maddie and Alex, who I didn't really know very well at the time, but they've become really, really, really great friends. And uh, in fact, Maddie was my son Wynn's second grade teacher at school. And it was just, it's been a really fun, um, you know, they've been a really fun couple to get to know and hang out with a lot. But when we get when we went there, we didn't really know him that well. Maddie and and Micaiah knew each other better than 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 I knew either one of them. But we get to Italy, and you know, it was literally just Maddie's family and Alex's family, which is they're both small families, and me and Micaiah and the pastor, who was also a really good friend of mine, uh, this guy named Tito, and and it was just so cool to just be with this little small group. I think there was only like seventeen or eighteen people total, including us you know, at the wedding and Taito had been uh, living in Germany. And so it was not a, not a far flight for him to just come over and uh, and do the wedding. And so basically like the day of the wedding um, or no, it was the day before the wedding. We had the rehearsal dinner at this little place in, um, in Ravello. I mean, gosh, if you guys hadn't, I mean the, the Amalfi coast, Italy's amazing. The Amalfi coast is amazing. It's just the most beautiful, magical place. And when I think back on this trip, it was the day before the wedding it was such a fun day because we, we meet up with Taido, me and Micaiah meet up with Tito for lunch. He had flown in that day or arrived. And um we go to this little cafe for lunch and, and eat some good Italian food and start drinking wine and you know at, at like noon. And then we spent the rest of the day like we spent couple hours at the restaurant, you know, just drinking wine and hanging out. And then, you know, we wander around the town a little bit and then we go to the rehearsal dinner and drink more wine there and, and have this amazing feast, you know, with these, these new people that we're getting to know and having so much fun with. And then we go back to, um, their villa, the the wedding, where the wedding was going to be, you know, where the family was staying in this villa And we sit out on their back deck and drink wine until like 2 a.m., just laughing and telling stories and kind of doing some of the rehearsal dinner type stuff that you do, you know, little toasts and such. And it's just it was just one of those just beautiful, magical experiences where you're surrounded by, you know, a couple of old friends and you're making lots of new friends and you're just surrounded by beauty and scenery and the wine bottles keep coming out and there's you know, bread and bruschetta and pasta and all this good stuff coming out, and you just have an amazing time. And I remember me and Micaiah going home from that, and just just kind of crashing in the bed and just um, just having so just feeling so full of life, um, and just being so thankful and lucky to be alive. And man, some of you guys are listening to this, and and you don't have those types of experiences very often. And I'm telling you, we don't either. But man, when we do, we hold on to them and just about tattoo them on ourselves. Like, these are things to remember, man. Because when shit gets hard, you got to remember those highs, man. Uh, because it's too easy to think that life is nothing but trouble, man. And for some people, it is. Some For some people, it is. This is just my story. And for me, I grab a hold of these things. And when I'm in these moments, you know, I I've, I had this interesting idea years ago where like, Have you ever had, have you ever been in an experience and thought, I am making a memory right now and what I choose to do right now and for the next few moments, I can drive my own memory by making decisions and doing things. And it's just so cool to be able to recognize that you're inside a memory while you're in it and then write the story of that memory consciously with just more cool things and fun things and saying the things that you always wanted to say. And, you know, maybe breaking out of your shell a little bit more and, and just like, we have the ability to make our own stories, you know, interesting or boring, you know, and, and it's up to us. And I just, I think about that a lot. And so inside those memories, i take these mental snapshots and I just kind of just pause and remember like, gosh, this is so amazing. And that's just what the Italy, trip felt like for me. So it was an amazing time. The wedding was awesome. I mean, it was just beautiful and and fantastic. Um, And it was just really fun to be with them, to be shooting a wedding in Italy. And we got some amazing, amazing pictures. And if you'll follow me on social media, on on Instagram, at Jacob Slayton, I'll be posting some of those pictures Uh, as this story, uh, as this episode releases. But it was just a beautiful time. And then after the wedding, uh, me and Micaiah had booked a few extra days um, just to kind of travel around a little bit more. And what we did was uh, we kind of went a different direction than we did the last time we had been in Italy. And we went south from the Amalfi Coast. And we went down to this little town, this little village called Matera. And I could be getting this fact wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's accurate that Matera... Is the most continuously inhabited city in Europe, maybe the world? I don't remember. Like, there's lots of these ancient cities that, like, people don't live there anymore, at least in the old part. You know what I mean? Like, the city kind of moves and changes and grows around, you know, and then the old city becomes like ruins. But people have been continuously living in the city for like thousands and thousands of years. And in the old city of Matera, it's called the Sassi di Matera. Um, and you can look that up, Sassi, s a s s i d Matera, M-A-T-E-R-A. And you're going to see some amazing photos. But it, it's basically like a first century, um, you know, Roman village that's been preserved and in fact in the old Sasi area of Matera they don't they have like electricity and stuff but they don't allow like vehicles um they have they have like delivery vehicles that will deliver to like the restaurants that are there but it's just like really well preserved and all the electricity and stuff is like underground or buried or invisible and so there's parts where you can stand and look over the city from these like sort of elevated viewpoints And there's, like, absolutely zero, you know, evidence of modern-day life at all. Um, Like, at night, it's dark. There's, like, you know, the only exterior, you know, lighting that you'll see is, like, candle, you know, or, or like, torches, you know, or or it's kerosene. It was just so, so amazing. So we travel around Matera. And at that in, in that part of Italy, um there's not a lot of like American tourism down there for whatever reason. It's just not one of those places that people go a lot. And so for that reason there's not a lot of English like spoken or there's not a lot of signs that are in English. You know, they're just not like set up to be like a tourist area for, you know, Americans. There's a lot of a lot of tourism there but not from the US. Like like Italians will go there but so everything's like in Italian and like, so we couldn't hardly understand anything. I remember we, me and Makai went to this restaurant and, um, you know, we're talking to the waitress and she asked the waitress, like, you know, what are the specials today? And, uh, I was like, I was like, babe, she, you know, even if she understands what you just said, like, you're not going to understand her reply. <laughs> like, um, and so like, she said like, what are the specials or whatever? And the lady's like, like just going off in Italian. I was like, okay, there you go. Like did that mean anything to you? Like you either say, I'll take that or you just point at a menu item and hope it's good. Um But it was it was incredible. The food was amazing. And later that night we're walking around and um I see this like menswear shop that just kinda looked cool. And so I step into the menswear shop and Makai was just gonna stay outside and, and kinda hang out on the street in this kind of more uh, you know, touristy area where there's lots of little boutiques and stuff. And I go in the men's shop and I'm, and I'm just kind of looking around and this, this cool Italian dude's in there. And, uh, and he walks up to me when I walk in I was just wearing my normal clothes. I don't know what it was. And, uh, he walks up to me and he goes, no, 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 no. And I was like, what? He just, he just reaches up and starts unbuttoning my shirt. I was wearing like a, you know, button up shirt with a t-shirt under it. And he starts unbuttoning my shirt he takes it off of me. He's not speaking English. He takes my arms and puts them straight up in the air. And then he grabs my undershirt like from the, from the bottom and just takes it off completely. And so now I'm standing in this menswear shop just with no shirt on. <laughs> and the guy, you know, um, uh, goes over and grabs a shirt off the rack, puts it on me, buttons it up, grabs a scarf off the rack, puts it on me in this Italian way. And he kind of shows me how to do the scarf. And he's like, yes. And then he turns me around and he shows me to his lady that was in there with him. And she's like, oh, Bella, you know, whatever she said. I don't know what it was, but, you know, I'm like, and then he points me at the mirror and I'm like, all right, yeah, this, this is cool, man. Italian guys know how to look cool. Uh, they, they, absolutely. Like Americans look like dumpy idiots. Italian guys look freaking cool as hell. And so uh, I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I can't just not buy this like I'm standing here wearing it and he's got my clothes like already in a bag. And so I'm like, all right, great. You know, wh- how much? <laughs> you know? And I don't remember what it was, but I, you know, I peeled off some euros, you know, and, and bought this stuff. And I ended up walking around with, with Micaiah for the rest of the night with that shirt and scarf on and like, I stood up a little taller, you know, like I looked like a pimp, man. I looked cool. You know, I walked a little, walked a little bit more proud, you know, on the streets of Matera. And like, you know, I could even see like the Italian guys and the ladies were kind of like, all right, this dude's got some style, man. <laughs> and it was cool. It was cool. Uh, but that was just such a fun freaking time. And we stayed in a cave in Matera and, um, and it, was, it was just amazing. We rented bikes and rode around and God, it's just one of those trips that just is a game changer, man. It's just And it was a fun time to just kind of reconnect with my lady, you know, and just have fun with that. So that was in June. Um, A couple more things this year, and then I'm going to close it out. Uh, One thing that was really cool was in August of that year, I think, yeah, it was August of that year, um, I got a pretty sweet little uh, gig. Well, not really a gig, but a deal. Uh, Because the previous year... um, in our house, we had Emma had made some friends at school, and I knew their dad um, these twin kids named devin and davin and they 're really cool kids they 're mixed race kids, but they 're identical twins and their dad uh, this guy named Trey had become a cool buddy of mine and so Devin and Davin you know at that point in time, um, they always dressed alike, and they still do a, a lot but, um, but back then, they all dressed alike and at at uh, the kids elementary school they had like uniforms. So they'd wear polos, you know, matching polos and they had, you know, same haircuts and they're just cool looking kids. And so one day in the house, I, uh, I was having fun with these, um, I was doing like iPhone portraits of people with this handheld, like led light. And I was just kind of doing this little portrait project with my phone. And I take a picture of Devin and Davin in the house, uh, with this light, you know, just with my phone and they kind of got their arms around each other and they're just kind of looking cool. And, uh, and I just put it on Instagram and I said, you know iPhone portrait of Devin and Davin and uh and I hashtagged it iPhone portrait or shot on iPhone or whatever I can't remember which one but I just put it on Instagram right and then after that um a couple months later I got an email from somebody at Apple and they said hey um you know we do these uh, commercials that are like shot on iPhone commercials and we're interested in using this photo uh for for the commercial um c- can you tell me what phone you shot it on and so I write back and I say like um whatever it was like it wasn't the most current like the newest phone and she's like oh okay well we only need photos that were shot with the newest phone so I'm like well shoot you know I, I wish I had but it's that, not it And then a couple more times that year um, or not that year, but in between then and August of 2016, I had gotten a couple more emails from them asking the same question. Hey, we love this photo. Can we use it for a commercial? And what phone was it shot with? And so I'd write back every time like, hey, uh, you know, um, uh, it's not the current phone, you know. And and so but one more time this happened and they said, we want to use the phone. We know that it's not with the current or we want to use the photo. We know it wasn't taken with the current phone, but that's not going to matter for this new campaign that we're doing. And long story short, she says it's for a, uh, it's for the Olympics. It's going to be for a, um, a commercial that's going to air during the Olympics, the summer Olympics of that year. We want to use it. Can we use it? Blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, we struck a deal and, um, I can't tell you how much I got paid for that photo, but I got paid a pretty penny for it. (laughs) Uh, I was very, very happy about it. I had gotten a, um, I had gotten a company to help me um, negotiate the terms of this, uh, you know, photo deal because, you know, Apple's a huge company. The Olympics this is going to be a worldwide campaign, and they were like, this could be worth a lot of money. And so, you know, I I kind of negotiated the deal and I got a sweet sweet gig out of it. And in August, that commercial. Um, uh, ran on TV, and actually, I knew that it was going to be coming out like this one or two days in August, you know, to coincide with the um, opening ceremonies of the Olympics. And so, I had been like just checking YouTube and and like Apple's um, social media channels and their website sometimes they'll like kind of soft release that early, you know, before they announce it. And so, I'd been checking, and I went to Apple dot com, and Oh my God, it blew my mind. Um, my photo was the entire front page of Apple.com. Um, just my shot of Devin and Davin took up the whole front page of Apple.com. And so I put that online. Oh my gosh, it was incredible. And I and I told Trey about it, and and um they got even a uh like a modeling fee and like a talent fee for being in the shot too. Like it was just an amazingly cool deal. And I told Trey, I said, listen, um, I had been telling him about it the whole time, you know, that it was it was coming up and everything. And I said, look, we're not sure that they're going to use it, um, but if they do, it's going to air during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics for that year. So I said, make sure you're watching. He said, I'm not even going to tell the boys it's happening because I don't want them to get their hopes up. But I said, just, just make sure you're watching the opening ceremonies, right? And so according to Trey, like the story that I heard was the boys are on a basketball team that travel around and... I don't know. They were like, uh, say eight or nine years old, you know, at the time, but they're on this basketball team and they were traveling for a tournament and they had all the boys for this team in a hotel room. I think they're in Texas somewhere and they're watching the opening ceremonies cause Trey's kind of got it all set up and nobody knows, you know, that this commercial is going to come on and nobody knows that they're even going to be in it or not. And, uh, so they're watching, you know, and everything. And then like the, uh, there's a commercial break. And according to Trey, like this commercial cop comes on and you can tell it's an Apple commercial. And Trey's like, all right, everybody shut up, you know, and I wish he would have gotten this on video, but he didn't. But he's like, everybody shut up and watch this commercial. And they're like, why? You know, it's just like, you know, 15, 20, year olds just jumping on beds in this hotel room. And he's like, everybody shut up and watch, you know, and you see the commercial. and It's kind of this sort of beautiful, like, you know, fading in and out images. You know, you've seen the Apple commercials and there's this Maya Angelou poem being read and all of a sudden Devin and Davin pop up on the screen, you know. And so all the boys in the room just freak out like, "Oh my god," you know, <laughs> they're losing their minds and everything. And man, it was so cool. They ran that commercial a bunch of times and uh, you know, they did like this this whole ad campaign was just everywhere and I don't know that I'll ever have a photo be seen by more eyeballs than that, you know, cuz that was translated in all these different languages and stuff and just such a freaking cool thing. And and after that commercial aired and I, you know, I'd put some stuff on social media about it. You know, people kept saying like, oh, dude, you should have gotten paid for that, man. Like they just assumed that I let it, let them have it for free. And I was like, oh no, trust me, I I got paid for it. (laughs) Um, So that was just incredible. Um, Two more things, and then we're going to move on. And I'll tell you a little bit about the next year, um, 2017. Towards the end of 2016 in November, I think it was after Thanksgiving, but before the beginning of uh, December. It may have been like the last weekend in, in November. But um, at this point in time, in just the few months, um, you know, of, of the spring and summer and early fall, we had been camping so much and and getting this, this crew of campers together um, that had just been building and growing. And, and just in this one year, like I got a camper and like five or six other families that we know also bought campers and started coming to camp with us. And it was like just this natural, like organic, like movement of like people want to get outside and have fun together and sit around a campfire and like get away from all the screens and all the bullshit and just go camping. And so we had gotten this crew together and it was really growing. And like I said, we were going like every weekend or every other weekend and just, and there was constantly plans being made and we're cooking meals together and you know, we're, we're just kind of doing life together like as families and raising each other's kids in those ways and stuff. And it was just incredible. And so at the end of November, we booked a trip to um, to go up to Branson, Missouri and camp and uh, and go to Silver Dollar City, uh, which is uh, if, if you don't know what Silver Dollar City is, it's kind of like uh, the only way to describe it is kind of like a, 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 a country like hillbilly Christian version of Six Flags. Like, it's very Jesus-y. It's it's got this kind of country hillbilly flavor. uh, But it's got these, like, totally awesome, like, legendary rides. And it's just a huge, like, amusement park. And it's it's really fun. A lot of people love it. Uh, And all I got to say about that trip is it was freaking cold as hell up there. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of amusement parks in general anyway. I don't really know why. Like, I'm this kind of fun, happy guy that likes to do stuff. But for some reason, like when it get like, there's a level where it's, if it's too crazy, I'm, I'm out. And it was just like freezing. And I was cold and miserable and the, everybody else is having fun except for me. And I just didn't want to be there. It was just chaos. <laughs> and uh, we're there like late into the night and I was just, I was just kind of sick of it. And so at some point, um, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'll take any kids with me that want to leave right now. I don't want to bum at anyone else's good time out, but I'm out of here. Like y'all have fun. I'm going to take off. And so like some of the kids were tired and cold too. And so they, they come with me and I had probably like six kids with me out of the group of, you know, there there was a lot of families there. I don't know how many kids were there, but there was a bus, um, that would drive you from the campground to silver dollar city. It was kind of all in this one sort of, you know, campus or whatever. And so we were going to jump on the bus, and take it back to the campground. I was like, I'll put the kids to bed. I'll do whatever. I just need to get out of here. I'm sick of this. And so I go take the kids outside. And now we're still outside. We're waiting in this parking lot for the bus to come. That's going to do our loop or whatever. Cause there's the buses go all to these other, um, you know, parking lots and, and, and other stuff in the town. And, so waiting the bus for the bus to come to our loop and the buses aren't coming, or there's buses coming, but not ours. And finally this one bus comes up that I'd seen a few times and I, they had the door open and I poked my head and I'm like, hey, when are you going to do like C loop or whatever it was? And she was like, I got two more loops to do and then I'm going to be doing that. So I'll be back in 30 minutes for that. We had been outside for a long time at this point, just miserable and cold. And so I say, well, can we, we're freezing. Can we just get on the bus and ride your loops with you. And then you can take us when it's that time. And she was like, sure, it'll be a while, but you know, y'all can jump on. And it was warmer in there. So we get on the bus and again, I'm just freaking tired and miserable. And I go take the kids to the back of the bus. We're all tired and sort of bummed out and, 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 and freezing. And so we go to the back of the bus and we're just sitting there, just riding the loop, falling asleep. And what happens is, uh, we keep coming back to the parking lot to pick up different people for the different loop. And we had been on the bus for like an hour um, at this point. We come back into the parking lot and I knew that our loop was going to be next. And we come in to pick up whoever, you know, is going to jump on to go to our loop. And all the rest of our group gets on the bus like they had done the rest of the evening. And they came out and waited for three minutes or something. And the bus pulls up and they jump right on. They're still having a great time. And we're just sitting there. So imagine this from their perspective. They knew I was sick of being out there and just wanted to go home and go to bed at the camper. And I had left them a full like hour and 30 minutes before with the kids. And they go and have the rest of their fun night at Silver Dollar City. And they're they're just smiling and laughing and bouncing around. And they're like, all right, let's go. They go out to the bus. They get on the bus and we're all still sitting on the bus and they're just like, Oh my God. Like it was just like this hilarious and I I didn't want to hear any of it. They were giving me all this shit about it. And I was just like, shut up. I don't care. I just want to get out of here as soon as possible. And so it was like this clash of like the tired, cold people and like the happy party people coming together. And in a weird twist of events, like I was in the tired, cold group. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, we go back to the campground and uh, and go to bed and everything. And we just had an amazing camp out. And we did, like, a little Christmas, like, we 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 decorated one of the trees that was, like, near our campsite and with, like, Christmas lights. And, and the kids did, like, Christmas decorations and stuff. And it was just, like, again, like, with the camping thing, it just felt like it was the beginning of, like, a whole new journey um, that, that was just going to be incredible. And it has been and, and everything. And uh yeah you know, you know, those experiences that just feel like heaven, man. And even though like I had the crappy experience at Silver Dollar City, it was one of those things where it's just like, yes, like things are coming together, man. And, you know, it it was just amazing. It was just amazing. So after that final story of this year, um, and then we'll, we'll shut it down. So in December of that year, um, and just a few days before Christmas, we have some friends that do a Christmas party every year at their house. They call it the Shelton Shindig. And it had kind of become legendary, you know, at that point in time. And for some reason, we weren't able to go the year before. But this year, we were able to go. And it was, again, it was like December 21st or 22nd. It was just, you're right there at Christmas, you know. And you know how it is when you get to go to the Christmas parties. And this is just one of those fun parties. And so we go to the Shelton Shindig and, you know, I remember I had my, like, ugly Christmas sweater on, and, you know, there's eggnog, and and there's a fire outside, and there's, like, you know, jingle bell rock music happening, and they had this, like, animatronic dancing Santa Claus thing that had sunglasses on, and everybody's, like, dancing with the Santa, and you know how it feels, like, when you, um, when it's cold out and it's the holidays and you can pack everybody into a spot and you come inside from the cold and it's warm and the the drinks are flowing and everybody's just happy and celebrating and and you're looser than normal and you may be stressed out from the holidays and you get to have these experiences of just like just love and awesomeness and so that's just what it felt like, man. It, it felt a lot like. You know the scene at the end of it's a wonderful life. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but at the end of this it's a wonderful life. You have this party, you know and uh and and the guy's like alive again, you know, and he has his family again and and people are coming in and and they're they're bringing in like gusts of snow like with every time the door opens, and nobody cares, and they slam the door and they're passing drinks and there's people playing piano and they're singing old Lang Syne. And it's just like this moment of like true warmth and love and beauty. And that's what happened at this party, man. We're, we're drinking, we're having fun, and, you know, it's getting loud and stuff. And then my boy Steven sits down at the piano. The Sheltons have this piano in their living room. And he starts singing um, these these beautiful songs, man. Just like happy Christian, like, like Jesus hymns, like Christmas hymns. And, uh, you know... <laughs> we're all singing together and Stephen's got this big, loud, like opera voice and he's banging it out on the piano and everybody's singing and like toasting and hugging and kissing each other. And just like, it it was just like all the joy and wonderment of like the season and even a fantastic year, just like coming together like a hurricane and, and with, with a rocket behind it, you know, just this beautiful, like, like amazing mashup of just like all the people that you love and these are all the people from my church you know that this this group of people from fellowship north that i had been going to church with and and been going to men of the ozarks trips with and i'd been getting so involved with the church and just really getting in together again like when you think back a couple episodes ago and i talked about going to church at the bar and uh and and and, or, or going to the bar and it happens to be my church you know and everybody's just like full of love, man. And, and, you know, looking back from now back to then, um, it's, it's not bittersweet, but things changed. Um, things changed, man. And, and, but I can look back and go, God, what an amazing, amazing thing that I got to be a part of for a while, you know, and those things are going to come back again, you know, and I really believe that with these years of goodness and awesomeness, um, that happened to lead up to a couple of years of pretty hard difficulty, um, that, that, that life goes in a cycle, you know, and that, that there will be good times again. And, and I can see those coming even now in 2021, but back in 2016, I didn't know that there was going to be trouble coming. Um, and there was, and we're going to get to that, not next time, but in a couple future episodes next time though, We're gonna talk about the year 2017, which was also a great year. Again, I had a good few years in a row there. In 2017, I'm gonna tell you about an insanely awesome week that I had in Washington, D.C. with some friends, with one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life, plus meeting the most famous and notable group of people I've ever met in my life. I don't think I'll ever meet anyone that's gonna strike me as much as this group of people did. I'm going to tell you about that next time. And I'm also going to tell you about the end of a very long relationship with tobacco. That's next week. Next Monday, come back and listen to 2017. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends about it. Share this episode. You know, why not? It's fun. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.